You know, there are important questions in life. Questions like, what am I here for? What am I gonna do for a living? Does the person I love, love me? But there's one question that's bigger than any other question in the world, and that question is, when I leave this life, how can I be sure that I'm going to heaven? You know, I travel the streets of American cities, like our own city here in Wichita, and when I talk to people about how they feel about where they're going to be when this life is over, to be honest with you, I get fuzzy answers. And I'm always amazed at that, because as we said, that's the biggest question of life. How can a person be fuzzy about this all-important question? Well, as we start this series, we're going to discover there's two things that God wants us all to understand very clearly. And the first one is, He doesn't want anyone to be fuzzy. He wants us all to be clear. In fact, He wants us to be settled and certain and sure that we have a relationship with Him. In the book of Isaiah chapter 1, there's a very special verse. And God is saying this. He's saying, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I will make them like wool. What God's talking about here is like having a white cashmere sweater and getting an awful red stain on it, feeling like you need to throw it in the trash can. And sometimes that's how we feel about our lives. We've stained them with this wrong and that wrong and this bad thing and that bad thing. And we can almost feel like they're useless and we may as well throw them away. And God said, no, don't do that. Come to me. Though your life is stained with all kinds of failure, God is saying, I will let you start all over again. So first and foremost, we know this. God wants people to be sure about this all-important question. But let me tell you what this series is really about. It's all about the fact that God wants everybody to be part of his family. You and I live in a nation right now that's torn apart by racial strife and class division. That's a shame because what we see is that God wants everybody to come to be part of his family. You know, there's one place where the ground is level and that's at the foot of the cross. So for the next three weeks, we're gonna be looking at three different stories in three chapters of the Bible, back to back to back. Acts 8, Acts 9, and Acts chapter 10. And we're gonna see three guys who come to God and they come from very different places. I mean, geographically, that's true. The first guy, he comes from Africa. And the second guy in Acts chapter nine, he comes from Palestine. And the third guy, he comes from Europe. We're talking about a black guy, a Jewish guy, and a white guy. But the important thing is they come from three very different spiritual places. In Acts chapter eight, we meet a seeker, a guy that's, he doesn't have answers, but he's looking for them. In Acts chapter nine, it's a religious guy who thinks he's already okay because of his religion. And in Acts chapter 10, well, he's the nice guy who lives next door who mows your grass when you're on vacation. He's the guy that everybody likes, but he still needs Jesus. And in all three of these stories, we're gonna see how they took various journeys and they came to one place, to Jesus Christ, and their lives were changed and they followed him in believer's baptism. Well, let's get started. Today we're gonna to be talking about, we're gonna be talking about a guy in the book of Acts chapter eight, and I love his story. Let me give you a little background. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter eight that this particular guy is a very important guy. He works for the queen of Ethiopia. See, in Ethiopia, they were ruled by female leaders. You could read in Acts chapter eight, the Bible calls him the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. Kandaki there is not a name, it's a title like a Caesar or a potentate or a president or a dictator. And so this guy is the, he is the head of the treasury of this all important world leader. 
You know, that's, that's, that's an incredible thing when you think about it. I mean, that means he's smart. That means he's, he's trusted. And not only that, he can evidently be trusted with money, which is something that maybe we worry about with our own politicians today. But as brilliant as he is, he's struggling with this all-important question of life. How can I know for sure that when this life is over, I'm going to heaven? See, we're, we're told by the historians that the Ethiopians barred their culture from the Egyptians. Now, if you want to study something interesting, just study ancient Egyptian religion. They had this huge group of gods, hundreds and maybe even thousands of gods. And from time to time, the gods changed their jobs. They, they teamed up with other gods and then they changed those teams. And at one time, a god would be a god of this region and then there would be a new, I mean, it was, it was all crazy. And certainly, it was just in their imagination. And I think for this Ethiopian expert, all this mythology just didn't add up. After all, he was a math guy. He was all about numbers. And he knew this religion didn't add up. And so he began to seek and to search how he could find out an answer that would, would bring peace to his heart about what was going to happen to him when this life was over. You know, I'm not really sure how he came about it. I think it was just God at work in his life. But somehow, he got the idea that the answers are in Jerusalem. And so, he did the um, unimaginable. He decided to, to make a pilgrimage, to make a journey, to make a trip, to travel to Jerusalem to see if he could find answers for this all-important question. Well, if you were going to travel from Ethiopia to Jerusalem today, all you'd have to do is hop on a jetliner and you'd be there in a matter of, of hours. But back in those days, to travel from Ethiopia to Jerusalem was an almost impossible, arduous task. It was 200 miles over dark, desolate, dangerous road. So whatever it cost and whatever it took, this man went to his boss, the queen of Ethiopia, and said, I need to take some time off to go on a spiritual quest and a spiritual journey. You know, right now, this might be a good time for me to talk to you. Because even though I'm talking about a, a guy who worked for a queen, the head of the bureaucracy over the treasury uh, 2,000 years ago, I might be talking about you. Because you may be somebody that in so many ways has it all together, and yet you're struggling to find answers to this all-important question, and you're seeking. You know, there's one thing I love about this Ethiopian. He could have said, you know, I don't buy into the religion of the Egyptians, but I'm spiritual, you know? If he wasn't an honest seeker, he wasn't spiritual, he was just fuzzy. This, this guy decided he wasn't going to stop until he got answers. So he took the long journey to Jerusalem. And that's for me where the story gets kind of sad. Because even though he was in a very spiritual place where God had done many things throughout the years, evidently he walked the streets of Jerusalem trying to find an answer and he didn't get one. I'm sure he tried the religious centers. I'm sure he talked to religious experts and he asked some questions. But at the end of his journey, however long it was, he still didn't have answers. You know, he did do one thing though. He bought a Bible. <laughs> now for you and me, that wouldn't mean a whole lot. Because for us to buy a Bible, all you have to do is go to the bookstore or go to a Christian bookstore or just order one on Amazon. It's just a few dollars. But you see, back in the day when this guy bought a Bible, that was really something. You had to be very wealthy to own a Bible because they were scrolls and they were hand copied. In fact, not every synagogue had a Bible there were very few private libraries. So for this guy to buy a Bible, he had to make a huge investment. But he thought to himself, maybe if I buy a Bible, I will have the answers. But even still, he was struggling. 
and he didn't have the answers. You know, in my imagination, I, I kind of see him the night before he had to start out for home because all this trip, all this expense, all these hopes had added up to nothing. I mean, he's got a Bible, but here's his, here's his quandary. Does he keep searching? Does he keep looking? Or does he give up? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've, you've searched for answers and you've tried this church and that church and this philosophy and that philosophy and you were told things in college and you've learned things from friends and you've developed this philosophy for a while but then it doesn't work. Do you keep searching or do you give up? Do you just say, well, I guess these things are too difficult and I'm just a spiritual person. Well, that's what this guy's wrestling with that night because he's got a job back in Ethiopia. He's trusted, people love him. And so the question that he has now is, what's he gonna do next? I guess all there is to do right now though is just pack up and get ready to head home. So he's going home now, but it's not gonna be an easy journey. 200 miles over desperate, difficult, dark roads, desert roads. But the worst part of this journey is that he's now making this trip without hope. On the way to Jerusalem, maybe there was hope that he was gonna get an answer. I don't think there's any, any journey that's lonelier than when you have to go home after a long quest and you didn't get what you were going after. I, I've had friends who were ill and the doctors here couldn't help them, couldn't get an answer, maybe couldn't give them a cure for what was wrong. And so they would go to maybe MD Anderson in Houston or Mayo Clinic in Rochester and they would make the long trip and it was difficult, but at least there was hope that perhaps when they got there, someone would have an answer, somebody would have a cure. But to pack up and have to leave and now go home, this time the difficult journey, but without hope. And I think that's what the eunuch felt that morning when he had to, when he had to leave Jerusalem and head back for Ethiopia. He had traveled 200 miles in the quest to find spiritual answers, rest for his soul, assurance that when he died, he was going to go to heaven. But all he had gotten out of Jerusalem was a very, very expensive Bible. So here's what you have to do. You know, today it's just me on the road, but you have to see him. He's in a carriage. He's got an entourage. Perhaps there are others with him, other carriages, maybe some on camels, some walking. And they're now headed toward Ethiopia by way of the coastline of Egypt in the desert. And here is this guy on his way home with an open Bible and he's reading aloud. And strangely enough, he happens to come to the book of Isaiah and he's reading aloud. But here's what you have to know. And this is the best part of the story. There was somebody who had been watching him the whole time. I mean, this person was watching him when he was sitting in his office back in Ethiopia doing his work and he couldn't come up with the most important answers for life. This person saw him when he got in his carriage and took off for Jerusalem. And he saw him as he walked the streets of Jerusalem and looked for answers only to come up dry. And he's watching him now as he goes home. That person is God. You know, the good news about God is he loves you so much that if you will just follow the light that you have and take a step toward him, he will come running to meet you. And God loved this guy. God wanted him to be part of his family. So here's what God did. Over in Samaria, there was this great, what we would call today, great 
spiritual awakening taking place. And it was led by one of Jesus' disciples named Philip. I mean, by today's standards, you would say that there were stadiums full of people who had come out to hear Philip preach the gospel message and they were responding. Maybe it looked like New Spring on a weekend, I don't know. But in the midst of all this activity that was taking place in, in Samaria, this spiritual revival, God comes to Philip and says, hey, I've got an assignment for you. I want you to go somewhere for me. And Philip's like, okay, where do you want me to go? And God said, I want you to go to the desert. So Philip's not questioning. He finds himself in the desert and all of a sudden he comes across a motorcade, a motorcade for a high ranking official. Here is this Ethiopian sitting in his carriage, reading his Bible aloud, the book of Isaiah chapter 53. And Philip just comes along and starts kind of running along beside the chariot and he hears him. And of all places, he's reading Isaiah 53. Let me read to you out of the book of Acts chapter eight and now verse 28. He was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And look at the guy's answer. The man said, how can I, unless someone helps me? That's a great lesson for all of us here today. You know, first of all, I wanna to talk to all of you who are part of New Spring Church. You're what we call New Springers. You know, we're not Jesus. We can't save anybody's soul. Our goal is to help people connect with Jesus. We, we're not Jesus, but we can be Philip. See, Philip came along and he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy had spiritual questions and he had a Bible, but the problem was he couldn't make sense of it all. And Philip, he basically came along to said, I, I'm here to help you understand. I, I'm here to help you make sense of it. And guys, that's what New Spring Church exists for, from all our environments, from the weekend environment, wherever you are right now, inside the campus, if you're in the campus watching the service, uh, Kids World, it's what our student ministry is about, it's what our groups is about, and especially it's what Next Step Ministries, like Starting Point is about. We wanna help you be able to make sense of what the Bible has to say. And so Philip asked this guy, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy said, I, I, I don't know how to understand unless somebody helps me. Now, let me read what the Bible says next. He urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The, past, the passage of the scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and he received no justice. Who can, who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was Isaiah talking about his own life? Or was he talking about somebody else? Wow, that was a perfect opening, wasn't it? Because clearly Isaiah was talking about Jesus. He couldn't be talking about anybody else. In fact, some people call Isaiah the fifth gospel because there's so much in it about Jesus. And so the next verse tells us that Philip at that very spot opened the Bible and began to tell him about Jesus. Well, we're in the book of Acts chapter eight. But what does Isaiah 53 have to say? What this chapter that, that was being read on that dusty Egyptian highway, what, what does it have to say to us today? You know, when you read Isaiah 53, 
it's like you're standing at the foot of the cross. And I try to imagine what it was like for Philip and that Ethiopian to be on that Egyptian road and to be reading the scripture about Jesus. It says he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You know, at the beginning of this message, we talked about how this series is going to be about for all races and from people from all over the world. Isn't it interesting in a world so divided by, by all kinds of issues, how that God brings us all together at the cross? It says we've all gone astray, every one of us. It doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter how much money a person makes, doesn't even matter how, how well educated a person is. The Bible says all of us have gone astray and we have each gone our own way. And yet God was so good that he put all our sins on Jesus. Let me read that one more time. The Bible says, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. And that's how Jesus died for us. He willingly laid down his life so that you and I could be free. I think that was a glorious moment because this Ethiopian who had traveled so far to learn about how he could be sure he, he could go to heaven, I'm sure he was wondering, what do I have to do? What kind of religion do I need to join? What kind of good service, good deeds do I have to do in order to go to heaven? What good news it must have been to have Philip explain to him that Jesus had already taken care of that for him, that Jesus had died for this man's sins, that by putting his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he could be forgiven and released from the guilt that he was carrying. And most of all, have a sense of purpose in life and beyond that assurance that when this life was over, he was gonna go to heaven forever. That had to be a great moment. I, I love imagining this scene and I can't wait till we get to heaven. You know, today we're filming this outside because this whole thing happens outside. But I hope God kept this on video because I'd like to see this when we get to heaven. You know, one of my favorite parts of the story is Philip keeps talking to him about Jesus. And while they're traveling, their, their journey brings them by water. I think water probably was pretty rare considering where they were in their part of the world. It's so strange, you know, when it comes to baptism, there's so many questions about it, but I love how this text, I love how this, this particular story kind of brings it all into focus because just as they got to water, the Ethiopian asked Philip about baptism. He asked him, here's water. What, what is it that keeps me from being baptized? I, I wanna make the next step. Is there anyone who's listening to me who feels that way right now? I mean, you've seen like the Ethiopian that you don't have to travel any further to get answers. Jesus loves you. 
God sent Jesus to die for you. He paid for your sins on the cross and rose from the grave and offers you eternal life if you just accept it. Well, the Ethiopian was, was right there. He was like, how do I take the next step? And he wasn't real clear. He knew that baptism was part of it. And clearly when he saw water, he had an idea of how baptism took place. I mean, they were sitting with water, I'm sure, in their, in their carriage. They had, you know, like we have bottled water. But he saw this big body of water, at least compared to where they were on their journey. And he said, here's water. What, what is it that keeps me from taking the next step? And Philip said this to him. He said, if you believe with all your heart, then you may be baptized. Now that's a really important point about baptism because the Bible tells us here that it isn't baptism that gets you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Baptism is for those who have accepted him. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, then you may be baptized. And according to the ancient manuscripts, the Ethiopian said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so Philip went down into the water with the Ethiopian and he baptized him there. See, when we talk about baptism, the best way of explaining it to me is it's like a wedding ring. A wedding ring doesn't make you married, but we wear wedding rings because we are in a marriage relationship. The wedding ring doesn't actually cause you to be married. The wedding itself, the marriage causes you to wear a wedding ring. And that's what baptism is all about. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and life, that's a private matter. And I don't even know when exactly that happened for the Ethiopian. Somewhere along the line on their journey, as Philip explained Jesus, there was a spiritual click that happened inside this Ethiopian's life and he received Jesus Christ. That was private. But baptism was his first opportunity to say, I wanna go public with my faith. I wanna, I wanna make it clear that I'm following Jesus Christ. You know, you could be listening to me today and and you could need to make one of those two steps. Of course, that first step is the all important one. That is to believe in your inner person that Jesus Christ died for you and he rose from the grave and invite him to be your Lord and Savior. When you do that, you become God's child. But then God wants us to go public with our faith. And perhaps you've already taken that step. You've invited Jesus Christ into your heart and life, but you've yet to take that step of believer's baptism. And somebody could say, well, Mark, I was baptized when I was a baby. Hi, remember that Philip asked him, if you believe with all your heart, then you may be baptized. In other words, it's accepting Jesus that comes first, and then baptism becomes a public proclamation of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. I, I hope if you need to take one or both of these steps today that you'll do it. I love the end of the story. The Bible just says that at the end of their discussion, the Holy Spirit just moved Philip away. I don't know exactly how that happened. Maybe Philip said goodbye. Maybe it was something more dramatic than that. I don't know. But my favorite part of the story just simply says that the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Hey, can you get this picture in your mind? I mean, he's been so depressed about things not working out. He took the long journey, didn't find what he was looking for. And all of a sudden this guy comes out of nowhere and he tells him about Jesus Christ. And now he's going home, going back with clarity and with assurance in his heart and life. And he goes on his way happy. Well, my prayer is that that will be your experience, that you will have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And because you have, take the step of believer's baptism to go public with your faith. And then no matter what happens in your life, and bad things are going to happen to all of us from time to time, and eventually death, no matter what happens, 
you can go on your way like the Ethiopian, rejoicing. Oh, isn't that a great talk? You know, before we leave today, I just want to take a couple minutes and talk with everyone in the room because I know this. Uh, there's probably a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life in this room. And, you know, for me, I was raised in a, in a religious home and at four years old, I was baptized and uh, it wasn't really my decision. And it wasn't until I was 16 that I made a personal decision to believe and put faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, so at 16 years old, I made the decision to be baptized on, um, on my own uh, understanding of what salvation is. And, you know, first of all, this morning, before we leave today, I might be talking to someone in the room who maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Mike, I was baptized when I was young, or I've never been baptized, but I know that I believe in God. I know I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I've never made that decision. I've never been baptized, or I, I did it before it was my, my decision to do. Um, you know, today at New Spring, we want to challenge you to consider being baptized. And uh, this series is a series where we're going to talk kind of through the front door about what baptism and what salvation really means over the next couple of weeks. And today, if you're here and you say, Mick, that's me, and, and I've never done that, I've never been baptized, we have a baptism event coming up in August that we would love to invite you to be a part of. And you can get all the information for that at newspring.org slash watermark. And while that might seem like a big step for so many of you, and it is, and it's bold, and you think I could never be in front of hundreds of people, I could never do that, um, this is what we know. We know that God desires for you to take that step and follow him uh, as he sets that example before us. Also, I might be talking to someone here. You might be sitting here and maybe someone just drug you to church with them today or maybe you've been coming for some time and you've been exploring what it is that you believe about God. And as Pastor Mark talked today, maybe you've come to a point in your life where you're ready to say, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wanna believe in Jesus Christ and I don't understand everything, but I know this, I know I'm a sinner and I know that God loves me. Here's what we wanna do right now. I wanna give you a chance to make that decision today. I wanna give you a chance to reach out to God and say, God, I believe in you. And I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for my sin. You see, there's nothing else that can ever grant you eternity in heaven other than just simply stopping, hitting pause in a busy world and saying, I believe, I believe in God and I call upon God to save me. So right now, all over the room, could I just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes? And here's what I'm gonna do right now. I'm gonna say a real short prayer. And as Pastor Mark says, there's no magic potion to this or there's no certain way you have to say this. This is just an opportunity for me to help you reach out to God, for me to just say this prayer and, and in your own words, silently in your heart to God to say, God, I believe. And if that's you today and you wanna make that decision, I invite you to say this with me. Dear God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for my sins and I confess my sin before you, and I ask for your forgiveness in my life, and I ask that you will make me a part of your family and give me a home in heaven for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you just said that prayer, we're real excited, and this is, this is probably true. There's probably some who made that decision today, but you don't know exactly everything that means, and you're curious what to do next. And we've developed just the resource that we'd love to give you today. It's called My New Relationship with God. And all you have to do to get this is stop at a guest services. There's one right through these doors in the south lobby here. And all you have to do is walk up and just kind of give them that look like, hey, I just prayed in the service with Mike. Uh, or just tell them, hey, I prayed today to believe in God. And they'll hand this to you. And inside of it, there's a booklet and there's a DVD and there's a coupon for a free Bible. The booklet is something Pastor Mark wrote a few years back. 
And I know it'll be a, a big help and a big resource to you if you made that decision. Uh, this is going to be a really great series. Next week, Acts chapter 9. You're going to want to be here. Pastor Mark will be here bringing the talk next week. And so make sure you come back and join us through Come Clean. Hope you have a blessed weekend. Thanks for being at New Spring today.